0: glad you guys are all here. Um, my name is Shaq. i um, one of the pastors here at Garden City Church, and it's Palm Sunday. You guys are supposed to say, ooh, Palm Sunday. <laughs> yes, today is Palm Sunday. It's a time when, yes, thank you again. It's a time when we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus in Jerusalem. Many churches like ours passed out these things called palm branches. But what exactly is Palm Sunday? It's a question I asked myself over the week of like, what's the meaning of donkey? Why palm trees? And the more I ponder, the more my ignorance of Palm Sunday was exposed. Most of my prior experience experiences seem to memorialize the exaltation of Palm Sunday and not the raw emotion, the stories of pain, betrayal, and disappointed hopes that linger in between this story. If we're honest, we are so naive to Palm Sunday's expansive and disruptive realities. Palm Sunday is not just about parades celebrations, prophecies, or succession. Palm Sunday is a riot. It's a revolt against power structures that seek to crush the, power, the, the poor, the marginalized, and displaced. It's a day of insight and a, great, and a day of great misunderstanding about the type of Messiah Israel desired. Palm Sunday is about the search for the ongoing answer to the question Jesus first posed to his disciples Who do you say that I am? And that same question finds its way to the crowds, the temple leaders, and the Romans elites all asking the same messianic question Who is this guy on the donkey? Is he just a prophet from Galilee, or is he something more? So as we approach Palm Sunday with open hands and open hearts, we must ask ourselves these two questions, and they should pop up on the screen. One is, what kind of king do we want reigning over us? And two, what kind of savior are we wanting Jesus to be? I'll say it again. What kind of king? Do we want reigning over us? What kind of savior are we wanting Jesus to be? These two questions will not only help us make sense of Holy Week, but they will also align our posture, our heart's posture to receive his salvation. So let us pray and invite the Spirit of God into this place so we can receive what he has for us this morning. Spirit of living God, your your main chief purpose is to exalt Jesus. In this place right now, would you use me as a vessel to exalt Jesus, that Jesus would be the center of this message? Jesus, would you cleanse me of any sin or any brokenness that I have that I may be attuned to your spirit? God, would you speak to your church? Whatever they are bringing in this morning, God, would you speak to that place? And would you remind them that you are our salvation? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 11. I'm just going to read it. Um, It starts off like this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, the king comes to you gentle and ride right on a donkey, on a colt, The fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed the cloak on them for Jesus to sit on it. A large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Okay, I'm gonna share this story in a way, um, and I'm gonna narrate it through the lens of storytelling. So i not going to kind of follow through it. I'm just going to kind of use my own style of storytelling through this. So after Jesus restores the sight of two blind men in Jericho, we see Jesus standing with a large crowd just a few miles, overlooking the great city of Jerusalem. As Jesus examines the panoramic view over Jerusalem's walls and temple's the hundreds of thousands of people coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, he kind of calls two disciples and tells them, hey, you two over here, yes, you two, come, come. Won't you go down to that village over there? You see the village over there? Won't you go down there and, and uh, find me a donkey and a colt and untie it and bring them to there? Just do it. Uh, but, but, Master, we... We we can't take things that don't belong to us. Well, don't ask questions. Just just if they ask for anything, just let them know the Lord needs it. We'll return it. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll get you your donkey. So the two disciples did as Jesus instructed. They brought this everyday common beast of burden, the donkey and a colt, back as a symbol of peace and humility. Then they placed their coats. And place Jesus to sit on it. I wonder at what moment as they was walking, um, or Matthew or the the crowds had this aha moment of like, wait, remember the prophecy of Zechariah? When he says, say to the daughter, Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a coat, the foe of a donkey. Is this that moment? Is this what we've been waiting for? Is he the guy? About time. I wonder if Jesus answered that nagging question, are you the one? You're riding on a donkey? So Jesus is coming down this hill, riding Side to side, if you've ever been horseback riding, it's, it's kind of like that. He's walking down a hill, and people are waving and shouting songs of victory. Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he, Hosanna in the highest of heaven. Hosanna means save now. Save now, Son of David. So overwhelmed with joy, the people began to cry out, Jesus must be the one. He is the new king of Israel. Quick, take off your coats, lay it down in front of him. Go to the trees and cut down these palms and lay it down in front of him. Just imagine the hot, excited thousands of people who are sweaty, all wanting to see what Jesus can do, all wanting to see Who he is, this is the guy. This is their guy. We must understand that their actions aren't new. They're new to us because we're reading it. But they've done this before with previous revolutionaries. Like the Maccabee family, who was a group of Jewish rebel warriors who took control of Judea by violent force making themselves king. This was a huge moment for the nation of Israel to the point that the people during the Maccabee times celebrated with palm trees. The Maccabees were the kings people wanted, driving out enemies and bringing them power. And now, generations later, the people of Israel are experiencing the same oppression with Rome. With the same goal, to conquer through bloodshed and slaughter. Yes. So they do the same exact thing. This was the day that God's people has been praying for. They had been reduced to nothing but a puppet state. They had no king because Rome wouldn't allow them to have one. They could still appoint a high priest, but the Romans said this. We have to approve whoever you choose. We just have to do it. But we get the last word over your ideas, over your customs, and including your temple. This lets you know if you decide to revolt against us, there will be bloodshed. Look at your temple. All those who sit... Above the temple are my soldiers. If you make a move, we will kill you. We own you now. Your temple belongs to us. So again, the people of God are hungry for deliverance. They and the rabbis waited in hope for a savior who will come someday to ride into Jerusalem to liberate them from the evil of the ungodly. Do you see a parallel? The Maccabee family, using violent force, Jesus comes down into Jerusalem, they want the same exact thing. So when they see, so when the people see King Jesus, see him coming, they miss his mode of transportation. They wanted horsepower. Not donkey power. The people wanted a national king who marched into the city and did hard business for Rome. The people wanted a king who reestablished Israel as a world power. A king who freed them from Gentile oppression even by force. Even if by threat or plague or split sea. They wanted another exodus. One that destroyed Rome. Israel wanted a king that would align himself with a predetermined political agenda. This is who they thought Jesus was. And this is what they thought he would do, and this is why the people were excited about his entry. See, the world measures with horsepower. Egypt prided itself and the military horsepower, but our savior delights in donkey power, peace, and humility, nonviolence. It's a reversal of how we think a king and a kingdom should operate. Jesus came not to dominate, but to serve. His reign is, like, is not like the oppressive reign of Rome. His reign is not based on military violence and does not employ social or economic exploitation. It is merciful, inclusive, life-giving, and marked by servanthood and peace. I'm gonna say it again. His kingdom is merciful, it's inclusive, life-giving, and marked by servanthood and peace. So friends, believers in the faith, I ask the same two questions again to you. What kind of king do we want reigning over us? What kind of savior are we wanting Jesus to be? Think about those questions. Jesus is closer now, and the crowd of rural pilgrim farmers give praise. The urban city... The urban center of the city, which was threatened by the news of Jesus' birth, is now disturbed by Jesus' entry. They ask, who is this? Just sit with that question. Jerusalem, the people of God, God's chosen people, did not recognize God's anointed king. But instead, they are agitated by him. Who is this? And the crowd answers Jerusalem's question. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is our king. But then something odd happens. Jesus doesn't go to the Roman fortress, the heart of the enemy's territory. He goes to the temple, the heart of Jewish leadership and drives out the people who are providing a service of convenience for people coming to worship. See, when Jesus comes to town, you just never know where he may go or the things he may do. He might just challenge the things that are most dear to us, the things that keep us and others away from worshiping God. Now imagine what the crowd and the temple dwellers are seeing in this moment and what they are processing He's our guy. He's our guy. And then see him go into the temple like, wait, wrong enemy. Not us. Maybe this guy isn't who we thought he would be. So Jesus didn't enter Jerusalem to establish a new and continuing earthly kingdom in Israel. He didn't come to defeat their enemies. He wasn't the king the kind of king that they wanted him to be. And just a few days later, Jesus will be nailed to a cross in the most degrading and torturous way. The people, Jesus' disciples, were confused. If you read the Road to Emmaus story, they they had a question that we all question. The question is, we hope that He will restore Israel. We hope that He would handle our enemies, but they didn't realize that their Messiah would soon die for the sins of the world. So again, what kind of king do we want reigning over us? What kind of savior are we wanting Jesus to be? So how does the story of? Palm Sunday. The story of the donkey and the entry and the palm trees relate to us in our day and time. I have two things for us. One is this Jesus disrupts our messianic expectations. I say it again. Jesus disrupts our messianic expectations. Like Jesus' first followers, we are prone to reduce the the Messiah's work to fit within the boundaries of what we deem necessary or desirable in our present circumstance. Even as boldly proclaim and believe in our minds the message that Jesus disrupts our messianic expectations, we return to our expectations that Jesus' kingdom is of this world. Even as Matthew tells us that Jesus came lowly, bold, born in a manger, we still see confirmation of Jesus' power in military might and legislative, le- legislative action. Even as Matthew says that Jesus rejects Satan's offer of worldly power and tells Peter to put away his sword, we count it as a victory when we weld a sword, a gun, or nuclear weapons. Even as Matthew proclaims the Savior crucified, we still seek ways to to maintain structures of power our structures are comfort for fear of what might happen when those structures give way. Even Matthew assures Christians that Jesus didn't come to overthrow the government, but to overthrow the powers of sin and death. We still treat sin and death as a cause to political gain. We cannot proclaim the suffering servant and then proclaim with another political Cultural, tribal Jesus. say it again. We can now proclaim the servant suffering, the suffering servant, and then proclaim another tribal, political and cultural Jesus. Those two things cannot fit church. Mentally, we know the truth about Jesus, and yet we fall short of holding our expectations on Jesus. Maybe we don't have Jesus all figured out. If we're honest, maybe we don't have Jesus plan for salvation all figured out. So my question to you as Christians, and you are responsible to hear this because you have ears to hear, but it's for you to respond to it, is the question is, are we following Jesus? Or are we asking Jesus to follow us? Think about that question. Are we asking Jesus to follow us? Get on our board, let's do what we do, Jesus. Are we, or are we following him and his way of redeeming the world? 2 Jesus expands his interpretation of salvation and in the process he disrupts our interpretation of salvation for honest maybe we maybe we become so worldly focused that we become desensitized that he has and will save us from our sin Maybe we're focusing on one half of God's redemptive plan and not the totality of God's redemptive plan. See, salvation is not just about deliverance, it's about transformation of what's going on here. The heart. This is what He wants. This is what He wanted from His people. And this is what He wants on Good Friday. He wants this on Sunday. Easter Sunday, and he wants this every day of our lives. This is what he wants. Like Israel, we are anticipating our Messiah, put that air quotes on there, our Messiah, to remove our oppressors and not our individual and corporate sin. Like Israel, we're interpreted the ungodly as those who live outside in the world, dominating the culture, not those who dwell in the temple, right? It's very easy for the church, it's very easy to state our innocence and neglect our darkness, right? It's very easy to say, well, those Republicans, ah, I get it, both parties are horrible, but be honest, but here's, here's the point. Here's what I'm trying to say. The church will be held accountable too for the oppression that we have caused and we are causing today. So please don't miss that. Jesus didn't go to Washington, D.C. to go handle business there. The very first, the very first place he may come to is his people. The church, church, to you, to me. Are you loving me? Are you loving your neighbor? Like Israel, we can joyfully chant, "Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna, son of David." But in the next breath, say, "Who is this? Who is this guy that's coming in on a donkey?" Maybe this guy is not what we hope for. But church, I have good news. Our true salvation has arrived to flip over tables, to disable the powers of evil that oppress creation, our souls, and our oppressors. Can't forget our oppressors, the salvation came for them too. So we have to expand our understanding of Palm Sunday. Expand our understanding of salvation because Jesus is on a mission. So when we hold these palms in our hands, it begs the question of what salvation are we longing for? Is it just social peace? You ask the question, is it just social peace? Is that all you want? Is it, is it just we want our governments to do well and don't worry about the church, Jesus, we got that, we, we're pure, we're, we're good? Or is it just, or is it deeper than that? Is it eternal restoration? Is it, does that include you and your children and your family, and your neighbor and your neighborhood, my neighborhood? They are a part of the greater story of Palm Sunday because Palm Sunday it's a beautiful story of Jesus bringing salvation to all people, all places, and even our oppressors. Amen. So take that with you this Sunday. Know that when you hold that palm, are you holding it like the Maccabees? You're trying to make Jesus your violent Messiah? Are you holding it meditating on your neighbor, your enemy, creation, that Jesus is going to bring salvation to all people, all places. Let's pray. Jesus, God, we have made you so small. I have made you so small. In places like this in the church, Jesus, I have made you so small to make you a God of vengeance, God of God of just, who's going to destroy my oppressors. But God, I I pray that in this space, Jesus, that you would bring grace to us. That you would expand our hearts to see the beauty of your salvation. Because Jesus, you hold salvation in your body. You hold salvation. You are salvation. So God, forgive us. Forgive us, Jesus. Jesus. And expand our hearts to see you more fully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.